This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Claire Bonnyman. And I'm Tahara Faruzin. And welcome to The Loop. So I have a question for you. Yes. Stick with me on this. How many people have you deleted off social media in the pandemic? Ooh, probably like five or six. Yeah, like a handful. I've let some some people graciously go. <laughs> off into the night. Off into the night. But others have kind of been like, I don't know if this is you or not. So I'm going to like give mm. this a little bit of time. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? I, I feel like similar. I... My hesitation is I never actually delete because I'm of that team of like, well, maybe we're all just having a hard time. Yeah. But it it does feel different going through social media these days. Yeah. And I have absolutely muted some people <laughs> because that has been a place throughout the pandemic where people are throwing out all of their opinions and reactions. And it's been very visceral. Yeah. But it gets really intense. It does. And it can. And yeah. if you engage, especially, yes. it can be you know, so mentally exhausting. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't engage on social media very much, even with friends. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I'll text you, you know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. And and getting into political debates on social yes. media, is, it's so hard because even your tone and everything isn't being taken into account. And 100%. even if you mean like the best, yeah. you know, most gracious way of saying something. Worst. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny yeah. too because I don't think I I don't I didn't engage a ton before, but I've definitely engaged even less now. Which is I feel like I just am on those platforms watching other people all the time. It's yeah. kind of like I just open my window and stare and then just go right back because I'm like I it's too much right now. But that's the thing because when it's so negative online and there's all these different opinions, it just turns into this really combative space. And sometimes we're cutting off relationships. Yeah, and you just mute people. That's pretty nice. Yeah, and then I just like avoid the platform. For, like, <laughs> And uh, sometimes it gets better. Yeah. But. Well, the truth is, is that the pandemic has pushed some people apart. Yep. And there have been some very intense reactions to the global crisis, understandably. And a lot of people have had to make very different choices. Sometimes that can be uncomfortable when mm -hmm. it's someone you're close with. And those choices don't sit quite right. Absolutely. I like I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that it has torn people apart. And it's added so much stress to all of these aspects that we're connecting and supporting each other. Um, and it has really been universal. I don't think there's been a single person who hasn't felt this on some level. And that's why this week we're talking about how relationships have taken a beating and some have even ceased to exist over the last two years. Yeah, sadly. And more than that, we're talking about how we can or if we can even recover these relationships and reconnect because the pandemic has been obviously so polarizing. Different views on what's safe, what we should or shouldn't be doing, whether we're vaccinated, partially vaccinated vaccinated or choose not to get vaccinated at all. Ooh. Yeah, that's become definitely a dividing line. It is. And a really stark one. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very dark. And I think that the conversations that people are having over this, um, they're happening over dinner. I've had them over FaceTime uh, in group chats, you know, um, even when you're getting together to just try and connect and have those like socially distanced beers and you're trying not to think about the pandemic, you end yeah. up talking about this stuff because it's basically everywhere that relationships are still existing these days. And as restrictions now are lifted, public safety is turning into a question of personal responsibility. And this makes us wonder, you know, when this subsides, can I fix these broken relationships? Right. Can, is this even possible? Can we reconnect so that we are actually still all 
I use the quotations here, in this together like we were at the very beginning. Um, Jenny Danes is a registered psychologist who runs a practice for people in Edmonton from her home in rural Alberta, and she has got some advice. Thank you for joining us on The Loop. Thanks for having me. So you help people deal with the stress of the pandemic. What are you seeing when it comes to relationships between those who might have differing views? Well, I think relationships are such a huge part of our life. And I mean, there's so much research on how the success and satisfaction of your relationships is related to your your happiness and satisfaction in life. And just overall, you're seeing that those break down or aren't available or are just different. There's so much stress being put on those relationships right now. So lots of conversations are on that. Mm-hmm. How are you finding how people are dealing with the, you know, friend that has completely different views from the other, uh, especially during this time? How do you how do you see people dealing with that? I think the common response, which makes so much sense, is to kind of block or unfriend or just kind of kick people out of our lives right now. And I get that. I think it comes from a place of, um, you know, we're all dealing with a lot right now. And it's hard to want to or have the space to be around people that don't think the same as us or make us feel uncomfortable or it's just really strained right now. And I think people have a low tolerance for that. So yeah, seeing a lot of kind of black or white, like if if you're not with me or against me kind of thinking. Yeah. Why do you think people are choosing to just do that? Just cut other people off instead of trying to find some common ground? I think it's safer. I think it's, it's easier. It's kind of the quick response. It comes from a place of like protection, maybe a little defended. It's saying, um, you know, we have to be relatively calm to have empathy and complicated, um, to hold space for, for messy things. And when, when we're running a little low and are coping and our, our stress response is up, then it's, it's actually part of our brain gets kicked in that goes into like black or white, all or nothing. And, and just to kind of shut that down, avoid or, or not be around it. Yeah. I also think there's been a a bit of a difference maybe when you have opposing views from other family as opposed to friends. Um, I know personally I felt this a lot during the pandemic. You know, negotiating those conflicts can look really different. But why do you think that family relationships can often feel that much more weighty? Family relationships are so hard because there's so many layers. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you've been around with those people for so long that there's, um, you know, there's a history of how you deal with conflict and whose voices get heard. And there's some like existing hurts usually. So not only are you dealing with big, complicated issues that maybe people are on different sides of, but you also have an existing um, like family system structure that a lot of these conversations and just general stress is exposing some of the fault lines in that. Mm-hmm. And and then you have the added pressure of, you know, I'm going to have to keep seeing you and on some, you know, maybe I do, maybe I don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Family Thanksgiving comes around every year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I don't get to maybe do the self-protection and the 
um, the boundaries that I would like to have in this. And, and, you know, I don't have a lot of space for actually working through this or, you know, and maybe your views are so different from mine that I don't even want to, like, I'm just kind of in that fight or flight space. So mm. it's, it's definitely hard to navigate. Yeah. And, but what about friends? I mean, family, I know there's a feeling of obligation. Yes, you're going to see this person at the next holiday or this this group of family at the next holiday. But friends almost feel like they're easier to replace. So, yeah, like how, how do you think people um, can deal with friendships that, that are, are not seeing eye to eye at this current moment? Yeah. Also a hard one because, you know, there might be the impulse to be like, oh, you know, this doesn't work for me right now. Break up. Um, And uh, I've been I'm a big advocate of saying right now to to ourselves and to, you know, maybe other people when setting boundaries Mm -hmm. about like maybe I don't have space for this right now and kind of leaving the door open for um, I don't know how I'm going to feel later or if I'll have more capacity to to have people with different views in my life but right now this is this is happening i'm feeling it it's all too much this isn't feeling good so yeah a big advocate of boundaries and and maybe leaving space for something different later so yeah. not just like going straight to facebook and unfriending <laughs> and blocking and deleting right away <laughs> i mean that's okay if it happens um, <laughs> but yeah i think like I, the conversations I've been having lately is, you know, have some recognition that we are all dealing with a lot right now, that on some level, even without knowing it, that we're, we're in a bit of fight or flight, like that real stress response that's going to make us want to decision make like that. Mm -hmm. And just kind of, you know, using some tools or awareness and, you know, like you wouldn't send an email we're all told, like, wait 24 hours on an email that you're upset about. <laughs> yeah. Maybe wait 24 hours on the delete. Yeah. I, I like how it went from letters, because that's what I was told as a kid, write a letter and then put it away, to, like, now it's, yeah. like, put your email in the draft. <laughs> um, but I really do like that you're talking about right now, because right now is so different and it's it's so hard. I mean, the pandemic has informed our decisions and now our decisions have this weight and and they really do have the effect to hurt other people. And it can be easy to judge other people's actions. And, and there's kind of this holier than thou comparison that we all get stuck in. But what tools can we use to be moving away from that judgment and and maybe towards an understanding about the choices and the comfort levels that people are having right now? Totally. Um, <laughs> great question. Love how you frame that. The what I'm gonna kick on right now, and I guess always is understanding more about yourself mm. as uh, the way through anything. So instead of trying to navigate it externally about like, does this friend like, you know, are they good enough for me? Do they have the same values? Do they? It's going in and like really starting to understand what what is triggering about the situation to me. How am I being activated? How do I know when I'm in judgment? Like, how do I know when I'm caught up in that? What does that feel like? Um, How do I know when I'm, like, what does it feel like for me when I'm feel judged? And where are the places that I go when that's happening? And so, you know, as, uh, you know, I hope as things start to calm down or as we build in more capacity for ourselves, we can start to look inward and start to understand 
more about ourselves and use that to to navigate these relationships and to to make decisions from that more grounded centered place than from the fight or flight reactivity yeah can i ask i mean i always love to poke experts about this kind of stuff but has this been a challenge for you at all during the pandemic have you had to bring in in some of those tools to your own life yeah, and it's much harder. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, it's really, I, um, you know, I practice and do all the things that I'm saying. And it's, it's highly emotional. It's, it brings in so much stuff. Like there's just so many layers to it. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not always successful too. Like you can do all this work and you can understand stuff and it's still, like, it's still hard. Yeah. Is it bad that that makes me feel better that the professional you're you're the professional and you're still struggling with it too like oh the rest of us? I think it's worse. Uh. <laughs> then I get back from my friends and family. Oh, don't psychology me. <laughs> well, okay, I'm gonna ask you to psychology me for a second, but I would love some advice because things have happened, right? Um, you know, relationships have been stressed and some of them have maybe broken up. There have been some of those moments. Is there some advice you can give to folks, maybe even me, who want to work on reconciliation for those relationships that have been maybe broken up or stressed over the last couple of years? Hmm. Um, like you're thinking of like, what can you do to repair? Yeah. Say like it's a a friend or a family member. I don't want to throw anyone under the bus Uh, (laughs) who, who, you know, like we've had very different views and, and maybe we don't talk the same way. And maybe there've been a couple blowups. Like what, what steps can I start to take to work and repair those relationships? Beautiful question. Um, the fact that you're asking that question tells me that you're already getting out of fight or flight which is like the the first step. So you're like calm, grounded, you have something to offer, you're ready to go back into those relationships. Then you start offering um, connection, compassion. And in particular, what repair looks like is some like seeing them, some validating, some um, just like I see some recognition and acknowledgement that you understand and you see their point of view or how they're doing or yeah, just um, really letting them know that like, I get this. And I think that takes other people out of the fight or flight and then they can come to the table more resourced and with compassion. And then you can, you're both in that empathy state and that's where connection and repair happens. I mean, common grounded are two words that I don't think I've ever been described as. So I love that answer. Um, but basically, it is it is possible. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's not possible in fight or flight. Okay. Um, and I think that's something that people maybe get wrong or don't know about is that to feel connection, to feel like in relationship with someone, there's actually a physiological state that you have to be in that is like feeling safe, relative safety so that you can be open to connection. And if we're in fight or flight stress mode, that is like, it's a different part of your brain. And the analogy that I use is, it's like trying to connect with someone while a bear is chasing you. Like while you're under you know, this extreme threat and you're in fight or flight and asking yourself to be empathetic or connection, like you just literally aren't in that brain space or that physiological state. So we have to get out of that before we can have anything to offer someone or get that connection that we're looking for. 
It's great. It's our brain's fault that we're being stubborn. <laughs> when in doubt, blame the brain. Right? Much better. <laughs> Speaking of relationships, on Monday, many people took time to express their love for the important people in their lives. That included the city of Edmonton carefully crafted a custom Wordle Valentine's Day message for none other than the city of Calgary. It was very thoughtful and included words like Jyoti, which is their mayor, of course, rodeo, a nod to the stampede, and adore. It was all set to this music. So serene. So romantic. <laughs> I feel like we're falling in love right here listening to this Look music. Look deep into my eyes. Oh, Claire. <laughs> but, you know, while Edmonton declared their love for the southern Alberta city bright and early as if to say good morning, happy Valentine's Day, <laughs> Calgary was empty-handed and like a guilty partner it scrambled to put something together. I remember watching this unfold and there's all this hubbub after Edmonton put out our video because Wordle has become so big online yes. and everyone was reacting. But how long was it until Calgary actually responded? Well, according to Twitter, <laughs> my in-depth investigative research. <laughs> of the timestamp. <laughs> yes, of the timestamp. Edmonton sent the Wordle Valentine at 8 a.m. on the dot. So I think that was probably that's like very, scheduled. Yeah, that's def- there's something there. Yeah. And then <laughs> Calgary sent their response at 10.02. So two hours and two minutes to Oof. be exact. Oof. Yeah. Gosh. Claire, you're a wordler. Is that oh. a word? <laughs> I hope so. If it's not, it is now. I'm absolutely a wordler. It's... Um, it's funny. I've converted other members of my family into wordling too. But like first thing when I wake up... I wordle. It's how I wake up in the morning. So we, I feel like I'm the only one on the planet that's not wordling. It's addictive. Don't fall into this trap. Okay. It's, it's just fun. I don't know. But it's it, it's a very simple little game. I do love like word games and like crosswords and things like yeah. that. Yeah. So it just turned into that for me. But yeah, I'm a, I am a big wordler. This this frustrated me a little bit because like Edmonton's little video had like the worst strategy of how to do Wordle. Yeah, I was going to ask you because you're the expert right now. What did you make of Edmonton's creation and then like Calgary's response just based on like what you know of Wordle and whether it's accurate or not? Well, OK, so I mean, I'm not biased at all. However, I do live in Edmonton. But um Edmonton's video, because the way Wordle works is you're picking letters, right? And it shows you the ones that are in the final word. And so I'm always using those in my next word because that makes sense. Okay. They're in the word. And Edmonton kept jumping around. It would get a letter right. And then, of course, it would go down. I think it was like Jyoti. It got the O in the right spot. But then the next letter, the O was in a different spot. And I'm like, no, that's not (laughs) how you play the game. And like, it got a little intense in my brain. I was screaming. And then Calgary's response was that really cute kind of like word chart because it is all the squares. Yeah. But they had used it to kind of it was just a static picture and it was they'd made a heart out of red, which isn't actually a color in the game. So like, you know, I mean, points for authenticity go to Edmonton. Um, Points for like cuteness also go to Edmonton. Um, You know, I mean, it it was very different approaches. It was, but like in terms of effort, like yes, 
Who do you think put in the most effort? Oh, us, obviously. Yeah. I like how I've turned into <laughs> us. I had no part in this, but I'm like, I'm claiming it. Us. Yeah, because the video, even just like coming up with the different words, the lovely music, and of course, actually using the colors in the format. So, yeah, yeah, you know. Well, of course, <laughs> we did speak to the city of Edmonton about how they felt. Ramya Velmergaya works for the city and actually came up with the Wordle love note idea. When we were tasked with coming up with the idea for the Valentine's Day post, we, we toyed around with a few concepts, but the Wordle idea came to me in the shower one morning and uh, I almost wrote it off, but shared it with my team and they loved it and we just ran with it. The idea was conceived, I would say, in early February and we played around with the words and the order and then our incredible in-house creative team helped execute our vision. I think our biggest concern at the time was whether Wordle would still be relevant by the time Valentine's Day rolled around, and luckily it was, it is. We did it in advance, so I think it probably took us about a week to do it and, uh, you know, and, and settle on the idea, and then it, w- it was turned around pretty quickly, I would say. I, I actually thought the response was really cute, and I, I love a good pun. I, I do think with the original tweet, people were expecting us to take jabs at each other, but the plot twist was it was just pure neighborly love, which turns out is what we all needed. I mean, two notes. One, obviously Wordle is still around. The game is superior. Two, clearly shower <laughs> ideas are the best ideas. Yeah. Yeah. I love that this is like definitive proof. Um, so, so you spoke to Edmonton. What did Calgary have to say for itself? Well, they were, of course, thankful for the very thoughtful gift, but admitted <laughs> they were caught off guard. Here's what the marketing supervisor for the city of Calgary, Nancy Smith, had to say. Oh, we were totally excited to receive it. It was really unexpected. And, um, yeah, it was quite lovely because my team also loves doing Wordle every day. So it was the perfect combination of Valentine's and Wordle. We just had a fun time quickly collaborating on, like, what should we respond? And I think in a matter of minutes, my team is so clever and witty and talented that, yeah, we had it turned around in probably five minutes. I give them a lot of credit. You know, we uh, we also put out a Valentine. We decided... A couple of years ago, we sent one to Edmonton that was poking a little bit more fun at the rivalry between us. Uh, so I love the sincerity and fun of theirs. Um, this year, we decided to be a bit more practical, and our planned post was around how to recycle your Valentine chocolate box. I give full credit to Edmonton. They did a really great job. My Our hats go off to Edmonton. <coughs> Slackers. <coughs> I gave her a very hard time. <laughs> I gave her a very hard I'm glad. (laughs) Two hours. If you gave your significant other a Valentine's Day gift right in the morning and they took two hours. And they they made it up on the spot and they like just grabbed a bunch of stuff from around the house and like went for it. I I compared it to like running to the gas station and like frantically (laughs) trying to find something. That's very on the nose. I love that. Yeah. Just, yeah. Amazing. Anyway, Ramya with the city of Edmonton was very (laughs) gracious about everything, of course, because Edmonton, why not? Well, yeah. And she says Calgary has the rest of the year to make it up to us. Well, I mentioned I really do love puns, so that's just me as a person. But I think Edmontonians definitely love puns, so anything ladle with with puns um, and a little creative flair would, you know, would warm our hearts. I think they have all year to, you know, pay us back in a way <laughs> that matches our efforts. But, um, you know, I think that their team works really hard, as does our team. Municipal government communications has a role beyond tweeting about road closures and snow clearing. Yes, those are important things, but we also want to tell the story of Edmonton, who we are as people, 
And as much as we joke about our rivalry with Calgary, and make no mistake, we will probably still troll and sass them here and there. We do value our relationships with them and other municipalities in Alberta. I love that this is turning into Calgary having to, like, make it up to us. Because they do. They do. They so, do. Calgary, if you're listening, <laughs> chop, chop. <laughs> Get something good together. <laughs> My expectations are high. No recycling puns. No recycling puns, no. It's literally be like or figuratively. Yeah. yeah. Well, Nancy said her team was very talented, so I'm sure they'll be able oh. to come up with something. Oh, yeah. The bar is high. Yes. I'm so ready for this. Yeah. But I mean, like what they both agreed on, though, was the response they received from the public. Yeah. They both said people were very positive for the most part, which isn't always the case when either city posts. <laughs> and they say it was a really positive day, especially during a time when things have been so difficult. We love love. The Olympics are everywhere right now, of course. Uh, And so far, Canada, we're doing pretty well cleaning up the medals in Beijing. But we wanted to get a little more behind the scenes stories from the Games because CBC Edmonton has a source on the inside. So live from Wednesday afternoon, but technically Thursday morning in Beijing, it's Min Dariwal. (laughs) The crowd goes wild. The crowd goes wild. (laughs) How's it going? Well, there's no crowd here in my hotel room, I'll tell you that right now. (laughs) And it is uh, very early, the sun is not out, it is dark outside, but uh, yeah, there has been a lot of uh, the crowd going wild for sure during these Olympics, which has been great for Canada. Yeah. Well, thanks for waking up so early just to talk to us. (laughs) Of course. Yeah. Of course. Anything for the loop. What's the highlight uh, been so far? Hot off uh, the uh, press from last night, uh, I think the highlight had to have been uh, the men's 5,000-meter uh, relay. They won gold last night, and uh, I just happened to be staying right across the street from that that venue. So um, I was over there, and, you know, there's, I mean, there's so much going on, um, you know, any given evening uh, with events and, and whatnot. So this is the closest venue. Um, you know, I've been working... Uh, the figure skating beat and the short track beat. So uh, it was pretty much a no-brainer to go across the street and uh, check it out. And, um, yeah, I mean, they, they're the number one ranked team. The men's team was number one ranked team uh, heading into this race. But, you know, nothing nothing is guaranteed at the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they did it, and they did it in dramatic fashion. I mean, it was... Uh, it was something to see. I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever seen short track um, up close. Never. But nope. Oh my goodness! It is so it is so fast. It is so dynamic, and uh, I mean uh, Charles Hamlin is uh, you know going out a winner. I mean this guy has been winning medals at the Olympics since uh, 2006, Turin. That's when he won his first one, and uh, now he's going home with his I think his fourth gold. Yeah, um, it's so, crazy. I mean it it was crazy, and seeing the guys skating around uh, you know carrying the flag around I mean uh, that that was that was pretty wild I, I also want to hear about the non-sportsy stuff like I have heard rumors yeah. from you so not rumors about fancy no. pillows and beer sushi like what the heck is going on in the bubble they've they've managed to create this bubble amongst multiple hotels and multiple venues where people go from hotel to venue and then from venue to venue and then back to their hotels without, you know, being in contact with the public in Beijing. So it's kind of like we're in this massive mobile fishbowl, if that makes any <laughs> sense. So it's kind of like if we were at CBC downtown and you had to get to Rogers Place 
and um, you were staying at the Westin. So you would essentially catch a bus from the Westin to CBC. If you had to go to Rogers Place, you would catch a bus from CBC to Rogers Place and then back to wherever uh, without ever going outside a perimeter. Usually mm-hmm. there's fencing. Well, not usually. There is fencing around each venue, each hotel, um, you know, one way in, one way out. And uh, there's like a gate and there's lots of police here and military and um, it's it's heavily guarded and it, it's just it's just been kind of wild, really. But yeah, you, you mentioned <laughs> pillow pillow menus and sushi and the food. I mean, you know, we we're basically eating at like uh, at the venues or we're eating at our hotels. And um, we've lucked out. Our hotel has three or four restaurants, so uh, there is some choice. And uh, the sushi has been good, and the Chinese <laughs> food has been good, and the Western food uh, that they make here has been good. So, um, yeah, it's it's been interesting. And even at the main uh, media center at the uh, IBC, where all the uh, broadcasters are based, uh, they they have a restaurant there, which has uh, which has been a trip. Um, you can essentially order something, and then it gets made by a robot and delivered via the roof. Pick they pick it up from the kitchen. It goes through the roof, and then wherever you're sitting, it comes and it puts it down on your on your table. Which that is amazing. Is pretty. Yeah, it's crazy futuristic. <laughs> man. I don't even. I can't even describe it. There's there's actually a bar. Uh, which I haven't been had a chance to get to, but uh, you order a drink. There's a robotic arm. It mixes the drink. It delivers the drink to a like uh, table, and then someone physically in front of you, and uh, you pay them, and then you go and have your cocktail or whatever it is. Yeah, we're so behind. <laughs> <laughs> we are, we are absolutely that. That is one thing that jumped out at me. We are totally behind. Um, there's these things called sleep cabins. Yes. Where you can, have like a snooze fest you sent us a photo it almost looks like a little radio booth almost with a little bed and a little desk type thing in there did you take a nap in there i didn't take a nap in there um but come on people were people were napping Uh, buddy i haven't had a chance to (laughs) to be quite honest so but maybe maybe in the coming days i'll have to try and take a selfie and just kind of say hey i'm just taking a 10 minute nap but i did try the massage chairs which were incredible nice yeah i want to know what the coolest thing you've done is like whether it was working or whether it was experiencing something what's been the coolest wildest thing so far well, I, I think certainly the first bus trip um, was pretty good. I mean, it was pretty cool, like, uh, you know, driving through uh, Beijing and kind of seeing the sights and and um, just, you know, the the uh, architecture here is, is mind-blowing. Um, the the mascot is on fire. Like, it's it's so hot. People just can't get enough of, <laughs> uh, of the Olympic mascot here. And, and all of the, all of the stuff about the mascot, whether it's pins or a stuffy, um, have been selling like hotcakes. Like people have been buying them here, locals who are in the bubble, and sending them out <laughs> to their friends on the outside. I don't know if they're reselling or if they're just like, it's it's nuts. It's the the mascot's called a it's called Bing Dwen Dwen, and um, it's like this panda bear. I think I've seen and it. It's yeah, yeah. it's got popular. like crazy eyes. Right? Yeah, you guys have to. <laughs> yeah, big eyes, and um, I have like a couple of pins. And every time I go to any venue, I mean, all the volunteers here have all these pins uh, attached to their lanyards, um, their ID, and there's a lot of pin trading that goes on. Nice. Well, you got to bring us back some souvenirs, man. 
I want us, you to bring us yeah. Bing, Dwen Dwen. Yeah. Bring Bing. <laughs> you want, you know how hard it is to get this Bing Dwen Dwen? You're on like, the inside. They, I, I, I don't care. <laughs> I know. I know I've been on the inside, but it's like, it's nuts. The lineup, the lineup for the store at the uh, main media center has been like up to two hours, if not longer. I think we're worth a two hour. Yeah. Wait. I was going to say no excuses. Yeah. <laughs> no excuses. <laughs> The Loop is a weekly podcast from CBC Edmonton. And our team this week is Tahara Faruzin, Leslie Goldstone, Corey Haberstock, and James Evans. Our theme music is Change Your Mind by Edmonton musician John Common. And I'm Claire Bonneman. Thanks for listening. There's always so much more to know. Get into The Loop with us every Friday. You can leave us a rating or review wherever you download the show. Or if you want to get in touch, we have an email, theloop at cbc.ca. Use the hashtag theloopcbc on social media or reach out to us. And of course, follow the show on CBC Listen or your favorite podcasting app. Yes! For more CBC podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.